I would like to elaborate upon the theme which we discussed on the podcast earlier in the week. Adar Purim, what's so funny? This period of the year is classically associated with humor, lightheartedness, and banter. Purim shtick and Purim spielach. And as with every Jewish behavior, conduct of Knesset Yisrael, this is far more than a cultural phenomenon, but rather a core understanding on Klal Yisrael's part of what the Yantif is all about, how they are capturing the Yantif in the way they comport themselves. The truth is Chazal themselves see Purim and Adar as a period of lightheartedness. We find in this vein in the Sefer Hayatzira, the Kabbalistic ancient work, when it is discussing the elemental characteristic of the different chadash in the different month. And it is talking about how each chodash is rooted in a different letter of the Aleph base, because the Aleph base of Lashna Kodesh are, of course, the building blocks of reality itself. And in that context, when it is discussing the Aleph base letter of Av, which is the Aleph, which is the letter Kuf, it tells us Himlich Os Kuf Bishok. Hashem crowned the letter Kuf in Sechok, lightheartedness, as the building block of Adar. So what is it about Sechok? What is it about laughter? It is not simply Simcha. We are not dealing with the general behavior of Vesamachta Bechagacha celebrating any salvation or any yantif through joy. There's a distinct characteristic to humor, to schok. What is it? Why is it apropos one time a year, Purim, more so than any other Yeshua, any other redemption in Jewish history? It is only the redemption of Purim which finds expression in humor, banter, spielach, and shtick. So the key is to understand what schok, what laughter is all about. Why do we laugh? Let's take one of those Typical scenarios, typical humorous scenarios, the proverbial shlamiel slipping on the banana peel and everyone laughs. Children laugh at him in the dining room, the school cafeteria, adults have to suppress their laughter. What is it about slipping the banana peel that evokes laughter? Truth be told, it's not really funny. If we approach what happened when Shlemiel met Banana Peel, if we approach it on a fit level of physics and we study the texture of a banana peel, the rubbery texture of a banana peel, and the sole, the rubber sole of his sneaker and how their contact creates slipping, it's not really funny. It's simply a physical phenomenon. So why do we laugh? The reason why we laugh, of course, is because of the unexpected. Suddenly, fellow was striding across the room, <laughs> and now all of a sudden he fell down. We always laugh due to the unexpected, which is, of course, the secret of good humor, of good comedy. It's all in the delivery. A comedian knows how to lay out his punchline right at the right 
moment when no one was expecting it, that is the nakuda of laughter, the unexpected. Purim is the yantaf about the unexpected. Who could have predicted any of this drama in the Purim story? Who could have predicted that Ahasuerus is going to kill Vashti? Vashti, whose beauty he so prizes. Vashti, who is really the, his calling card, his entire base seat of power. When we appreciate that Ahasuerus was a common man, and it is Vashti who has royal blood who really props him up. To think that he would kill her? Now, of course, we know what happened. He was drunk and she defied him. We know what happened. But we would have been around before it happened. Who would have guessed? And Esther, pristine, pure Esther, becomes the queen of this vain man? Who would have thought? And Mordechai leaves the hallowed halls of the base Medrash, and before you know it, is a wheeler and dealer in positions of power as the viceroy. Who would have expected it? But all of this is the Hashgachas Hashem. He works in unexpected ways for the sake of the issue of Klal Yisrael. It's very, very funny because it's so unexpected. And this has brought home the power of the unexpected in my Sapurim is brought to home in Vinahapachu, everything is a 180, the exact inverse of what you would have projected. Whether it is the fact that Haman hangs on the very gallow that he set up to hang Mardachai. Whether it is the fact that Mardachai mounts the very horse that Haman had believed he was going to ride upon and Mardachai was going to lead. The fact that the very day which was supposed to be our destruction became our salvation and so forth. Vinahapachu. Totally unexpected. It has to be funny. Hashem has a sense of humor in this story. And just to bring out the power of Vinahapachu in the story, I would like to engage now in an almost line-by-line textual study and comparison between the original decree of Haman to destroy the Jewish people on the 13th of Antar and the final decree that the Jewish people should in fact wipe out their enemies. And we will see almost cut and paste when we arrange the two passages side by side and study them with sensitivity and nuance that it is so clear one decree, a decree of destruction, is now morphing into a decree of salvation. Let's have a look. So we have in the second decree, in Paraches, let's read the verses. Vayikru sofrei amelach be'esahi b'chodesh ha'shlishi hu'chodashiv on'b'shlosha sarbo v'yichtov k'chol ha'shatziv ha'mardachai al-yehudim v'achshtarpinim v'apachos v'sari ha'madinos v'sham yehudim v'achos and so on and so forth. Medino mundino k'chsova v'am v'am kilshono the king called scribes at that time, and he wrote everything which Mordechai commanded to all the royal officers in the language of each country. Well, that is the 
word for word, cut and paste what we find in Parakimal Pasak Yidbeis, Vayikrasofli Amelk Bachodesh Arishan Bashlochas Abel Yiktov Kachosh or Tziva Haman Alach Starpane Amelk Val Pachas, Al Medina, Medina, Vyasariam Vam, Medina, Medina Kachsav Vam Vam Kilshono, word by word, the first decree, the decree of Haman. Well, now it is reappearing in the decree of Mardachai in terms of defending the Jews. And you just see it as we scroll on. Paraches Pasuk Yud, the way it describes the second decree by Yechtov B'Shem HaMelech HaChashverosh V'Yachton B'Tabas HaMelech. This was signed on by the king, the very same language back in Parakim Pasuk Yud Be'ez described in the first decree for our destruction. And then as we scroll down to Paraches Pasuk Yud Aleph, the king gave permission for utter for other destruction, wiping into oblivion. On this very day, that is the exact language initially describing the Jewish people's destruction. And we have a pasuk, parakas pasukud ve'ishloch svarim biat haratzim. The documents are being sent to the runners. Same thing of the first decree, parakimal pasukid yimel. You see up on the left side here, ve'ishloch svarim biat haratzim. And parakas pasukid yimel pas shagan aksav li'nasan das b'chol medino medino goli l'chol amim liyus hayehudim asidim la'yom azeli nakemayo. They have the same exact language. Previously describing the content of the decree. Announcing the Jewish people's destruction back in Parakim Paskidal, Pahas Shaganak Shavli Nasin Tas Bachol Medina Medina Galui Lachol Amim Liosa Sidim Liomazak. And then even and then it describes in the second decree the fast paced animals who brought the decree, Haratzim, Rochve Harachash Hachashtarnim Yatsum Mavulum Mutukufum Bidvara Melch Vadasnit Nabashushan Abira, same exact language describing the first decree in Parakim Pasak Tasvav. As we color coded here, Haratzim Yatsu Dechufim Bedvaramel, Fatasnit Nebushushin Abira, and so forth. And finally, the second decree concludes, Va'ir Shulan Shushan Salavasamecha, there was joy in Shushan. Well, that completes our pattern of Benahapachu from the first decree where it described the same language, but the negative side of the coin, Va'ir Shushan Navocha, the city of Shushan was surprised and distressed. Now the city of Shushan is joyous. Line by line, word by word, the two documents, the two decrees, the Jewish people's destruction as projected on the 13th of Adar, now the Jewish people's salvation, they are echoing each other by design. And the Megillah is like hammering us over the head with this comparison. Well, that's the point. By this point, we've all gotten it. Suffering morphs into salvation. It must be v'nahapahu. Hashem has a sense of humor. It has to be as unexpected as possible. And this notion that Hashem works in unexpected ways, the most surprising of ways, is deeply, deeply encouraging. Because oftentimes we find ourselves bishal tachtis. We find ourselves in a deep pit. It does not seem like there's any way out from personal suffering in life, from personal challenges in life. But then we realize Hashem works in unexpected ways. The human being can never fathom a Purim story. Who would have expected? 
Well, likewise, as we suffer day in, day out, the hope always remains. He works in unexpected ways. Don't write him off. He will come through, hopefully, as is Hashem, in a way will just will leave us laughing. Who would have imagined? There is another expression of this ideal, the schok, the laughter of Purim, the unexpected. There's another manifestation of this in the behavior of Purim, and that is the inebriation. The Let's explain with depth and digging below the surface what the drinking of Purim is all about. However one chooses to fulfill it in a way which is appropriate for their personal nature, but in terms of the concept. The Mepharshim tell us, including the Nosei Kalim and Shulchan Aruch, that the source of Yayin on Purim lies in, in the Purim story, where again and again we have drinking parties, mishtos, whether the opening mishta, which Ahasuerus stages for his subjects, or whether the drinking feast of Haman and Ahasuerus when they're scheming against the Druze, Vamelch Bahaman Yashvulishtos, or the drinking party which Esther arranges to ensnare Haman, Yavo Hamelch Bahaman El there are so many mishtos, drinking parties, so we commemorate that through wine. There must be more to the wine in this story than simply it happens to appear here again and again, and hence we commemorate it. You understand when you have a staged play and you have a certain prop which keeps on appearing on stage, you surmise and then reach a firm belief the screenwriter here has the prop appearing perpetually again and again by design because that prop is the icon. So apparently the yayin is the icon of the Parm story. Why? What is the symbolism of wine, of inebriation, and the drinking of Perm which has occurred ever since? Well, when we drink, we lose our das. We lose our clear mind. I suggest the Purim story brings home the limitation of man's das. Man really doesn't know. Who would have thought? No. Chacham would have predicted this. Man really doesn't know. Man really doesn't have das at all. In a sense, man is under the influence. And when we're under the influence of alcohol, hopefully this brings into consciousness that we are ultimately under the influence of someone else. HaKadosh Baruch who's pulling the strings here. We don't understand at all. Just as the person who is drunk is moving in all sorts of directions and he thinks he knows what he's doing, but to all the onlookers it's clear, he's just spinning his wheels. Well, the Purim story brings home on a certain level that's the human condition. We think we understand, but we're really just spinning our wheels. Hashem is guiding events in ways that no one 
could have foreseen. Adlo yata, benar That is the human condition we come to see on part. Hashem has a sense of humor. He's going to show us. Man thinks God laughs. And the profundity of the gut lacht is that mensch tracht, you think you knew what you were doing? We are, in fact, working under the influence of a power larger than all of us. And now, owning for ourselves the adlo yada as a pur motif, the concept of the limitations of man's das, we now can take this a step further. Because whenever we have a statement in the Torah Shabal Peh, a statement of Chazal in the Torah Shabal Peh, it behooves us to trace it back to the Torah Shabbat Saf. I have no doubt that if Chazal harp on Adlo Yada, harp on n- n- the No Das theme on part. It must be that that very phrase, Das, and the truth that man really does not have Das, appears in the Megillah, not once, but again, and again, and again, and again. Let's trace our pattern of the does man really know issue in the Megillah, we will see that word das leaping right off the page again and again, and with that we will reach all the more of an appreciation of the worlds below the words. For starters, right in the beginning of the Megillah, when Achashverosh tells, commands Vashti, come here with only the royal crown so I can show you off. And she refuses and the king needs to act. So the king consults his advisors. And the Megillah says, The king consults his wise men, those who know the times. And I'm going to read this, not Drasha. The Pshut HaShomikra is these are his advisors, those who know the times. Because after all, that is always the way the king works. He always consults advisors. He always consults those who know the law. The Megillah stresses these people are know-it-alls and how appropriate it is to consult them. Notice that the word das reappears twice in this Pasuk. And Yodea Das Vedin. The Megillah stresses that they're know it alls. Now, the assertion that the king's advisors are Yodim, are know it alls, and therefore he consults them, is immediately provocative in the context of Purim with its Adelo Yata insinuation. It's yeah, right, does man know? But in particular, when we consider the context of the story, these advisors who according to the Pshuto Shomikra, the simple read of the verses, tell Achashverosh off with her head, kill her. Do they know what they're doing? Are they giving him good advice? These know-it-alls? Well, the next morning, when Achashverosh's alcohol wears off, 
his drunken stupor wears off. He regrets the decision. Zacharas Vashti, Vas Yafya, Vasasher he's kicking himself. He killed his beloved queen just because of a momentary passion. So look what the know-it-alls brought. It was really Hashem at work, because there's a Yeshua to be wrought here. Esther needs to be brought on stage. So Vashti needs to be wiped off the stage. That's Hashem. But the know-it-alls, who thought they were helping the king, were not helping the king at all. How powerful that the term das is stressed here. In, a, in, a, in an overt mockery of know-it-alls, and I have to tell you parenthetically, I think of this Pusik and the power of these words. Because the king always consults those who are Yote Dasvadin. Uh-huh. Everyone today thinks they know everything. In every industry, you have consultants who think they have mastered the branding, the marketing, the way you do it. There's consultants in every area. And there's certainly something to be gained from consultants. But the truth is, at the end of the day, do know-it-alls really know-it-all? I'll leave you with that question and think about your own life experience. Man really doesn't know at all. Indeed, it is fully appropriate for the, man, for the king to consult the know-it-alls, the Yodin, yeah, right. So this whets our appetite to continue to trace really mockeries of know-it-alls, of das, of a- to find the Adzalo Yata and the Megillah. Because let's move on now and find another powerful textual clue. And that is later in the story. After the decree against Klal Yisrael has been sealed, seemingly. And Mardachai tells Esther, you need to enter the king's throne room and beseech the king. And we find the word das reappearing. Kol avdei hamelech medinos hamelech yodin. Says Esther, everyone knows you enter the throne room unexpected, uncalled, unsummoned, it's off with your head. Now perhaps we gloss over this expression yodin. They know. But I am convinced in the context of an Antelo Yada story, there is so much juice to be squeezed out of this word. She sang with such confidence, everybody knows. Everybody knows that if you enter the king's throne room, you won't make it out alive. Now, that's generally true. But is it absolutely true? We all know the end of the story, that she's going to make it in a lot, make it in and make it out alive. And here she wrote herself off because she says, Everyone knows it never works. Here we have, again, conventional wisdom. Writing off. Writing something off. But we all know that which everyone knows, in fact, was not the case. Esther, with the power of her grace and a lot of siyata deshmaya, was able to make it in and out. I believe this is a powerful Das echo, reverberating now in the Megillah. Once again, the Yodim really don't know. So don't write yourself off. Don't write off Hashem's Yeshua. Due to human das. 
And now the pattern continues. Because in Mordechai's response to Esther, when she writes herself off, we see Das reappearing. Because what does Mordechai tell her? Mordechai tells her, Who knows if for a time like this you became queen? And again, we can easily read over the verse that he's telling her, who knows? But with sensitive ears already to the power of the word das and that Esther said everyone knows there's no hope, the fact that Mordechai mouths the words umiodeia, who really knows, takes on added resonance. I suggest below the surface there's an implication here. You're saying everyone knows there's no hope? Who knows? Umiyodeya, who really knows? Who really knows why you became queen and if Hashem might have something up his sleeve? More than the Yodim could have anticipated. Umiyodeya, who really knows? In fact, I would posit on a deeper level, Mordechai is not asking a straight question, but rather a rhetorical question. Umiyodeya, who knows? We all know who knows. He alone really knows what's going on here. And that is his great response to her statement. Everyone knows if I'm finished. I'm finished if I do it. Umiyodeya, only he knows what's going on here. Menstruch got locked. Man does not have das at all. Ad yata. And now let's trace a final layer of this pattern, to this pattern. I want to suggest that all of these textual textual clues come together, an echo of each other. Going back to the beginning of our pattern, when the king's, I guess you could say all the king's horses and all the king's men, or certainly the king's advisors said, were called Yodeyadas, Yodeyahitim, Yodeyadas with them, the know it alls who didn't know it all. I would like to suggest on some level Mordechai is referencing them to Esther. When he tells us, when he says, Umi Yodeya, who really knows besides Hashem? On some level he's saying, think about how you became queen to begin with, due to know it alls who advised the king to kill Vashti, who didn't know what they were doing at all. And the textual clue to this, to see in Mordechai's statement, umiyodeya, a finger pointing back to the story about the king's wise men, lies in the precise use of of verbiage. When he tells her, umiyodeya imleis, Notice the conjunction between the word das and ace, knowledge and time. Umiyodeya imla ace. Torah's written, Tanakh is written with precision. When you have a conjunction between two words, you need to think back to the last time that conjunction appeared. Where else do we have a conjunction between das and ace? Umiyodeya imla ace. The answer is in the beginning of the Megillah regarding the king's wise men. They were called Yodei Ha'itim, those who know the times. There was the conjunctive phrase das and ace, knowledge and times. 
Well, the reappearance of that conjunction is now a masterpiece. Mardachai is referencing knowledge of the times. Below the surface, below the shot of his statement, is the echo Esther, if you have any doubt. If you want to believe the know-it-alls who are telling you to write yourself off, everyone knows, the Odin. Think back to why you're here in the first place. Who knows what was behind you rising to Malchus? Because your origin here, based on this phrase, well, those know-it-alls did not know it at all. Consultants who shouldn't be earning a salary. So here we have not only a splendid textual pattern, how the dramatic expose of know-it-alls of Das appears in the Megillah. And I would argue is the source of Chazal's motif. We reach a state of ultimately affirming man does not know. We're under the influence of him alone. And how this behavior on Purim and how we celebrate the revelry, the alcohol, how all of it has a profound theological message to it. Laugh at the human condition, laugh at know-it-alls, Certainly be skeptical of human assurances, especially when human assurances are negative ones, as we've traced in the story. Those who say it's never going to work. But now, we have an interesting... conundrum to consider. What to me is called a a psychological tension, a problem with the human condition. On one hand, we're learning, man really doesn't know. We are seeing just how limited man is and human foibles and the how far man's judgment goes or, and in fact does not, ultimately does not go. And in a very deep way, we know this. Neurology, psychology, various fields studying the human mind have come to a greater understanding that truths that man perceives are oftentimes subjective perceptions and subjective interpretations. We all know the famous stigmas, the famous images that, have, that again have been popularized in pop culture and in pop psychology. The picture of the glass half empty, the glass half full, or the picture of the two faces which in the middle form a goblet, or the picture of the same face of the woman who could be a peasant face older woman or a beautiful or a beautiful face of a younger woman. And psychologists like to use this to show the power of interpretation. The same way it's true of an image, it can be true about a person's life. What's that famous children's story? 
Alexander's story of the worst day in his life, the best day of his life, and it all depends how you perceive it. Well, the same thing is true about even what we believe to be hard scientific truths. They are not nearly as defined as we would like to believe. Because man really does not know. So this gives rise to the problem, the tension. So where does that leave us? Our das, our mind, our perception of truth is the only tool which we have. And it's a very powerful tool. And yet it is in fact not fully accurate. It is certainly not absolute. And on some level, we need to embrace the contradiction, the tension. Life is about tension. We must use our das, and we must embrace the power of human understanding, because that that is how Hashem created us. So we have to make the best decision with the tools we have, and yet at the same time know I'm making this decision because that is the best my das tells me. So that's what I'm supposed to do because that's the tool I was given. But ultimately, I don't really know how this thing is going to end up. So we live with that dichotomy. On a certain level, this is the great dichotomy between bitachon and hashkacha, faith in Hashem, and yet at the same time, we try our best ourselves and many of the Bali Machshava tell us, Bitochan and Heshtambus are not in contradiction. It's not a proportion, 50% Bitochan, 50% Heshtambus, right? 50% faith, 50% work. But it's 100% Bitochan, 100% Heshtambus. There's two different realms, the human realm and the divine realm. We plow full forward with our human Heshtambus and our human understanding the best we can with the knowledge that everything we're doing and everything we're intuiting is only on, the, it's the human Truth, and it's not the ultimate truth. Well, appreciating that this issue, the limitations of Das, is the theme of Purim, as we've traced and brought out and unraveled. I would like to believe that along with the expose, laying bare the limitations of man's Das, the Purim story is at the same time validating the truth that man's das has a place. It has a place on the human level. We are supposed to act with our das. That is the tool we have and yet realize the result of a decision I make and an activity I do might be very different than what I perceive because at the end of the day it's me, Udaya. So where do I find that validation of das along with the skepticism of das? So here, I would like to trace a final scriptural pattern of the word das appearing in the Megillah, not in a dismissive way, but in a validating way. People's das, knowledge, understanding is affirmed as significant in the Purim story. And again, 
the appearance of the word das in a positive sense is very powerful when we consider the overall picture that the author of the story, Esther Baruch HaKodesh Nechtava, ultimately it's HaKodesh Baruch who the author of the story, has a whole das master plan scheme in the story. So every time the word das appears here, it's more than a random reference, but it's brimming with meaning. So let's trace some positive expressions of das now to kind of bring the picture full circle. Well, for one thing, we have in the beginning of the Megillah, when Mardachai every day goes to visit Esther, who was captured and placed in the royal harem, in a story that no one can understand, why is this going on? But Mardachai would visit her every day. And Rashi explains, citing Chazal, that it was because Mardachai understood it is not a coincidence that Esther was captured and taken to the royal harem. Something deeper is going on here. Mordechai perceived there's hope, there's some great Yeshua and Esther being taken to the harem. Well, in that context, the Pasuk says, Mordechai visited her every day, Ladas Eshalom Esther, to know how Esther was doing. Well, again, more than a depiction of a family member inquiring of another, I would suggest that term, Ladas. He sought to know what was doing with Esther. Mardachai was not retreating hands off. In a difficult situation, Esther was abducted. He was seeking to know. Das. And later we have the reappearance of this phrase, Das, in a pivotal moment. In the big sum, the Sarish plot, when they plot to overthrow the king. And the Pusik says, It became known to Mardachai. We'll hear the das of Mardachai, Mardachai plowing forth and passing on to the king what he knew through his das. is powerful in the Yeshua. And then we have an even more powerful Pusik. If perhaps we've written off some of the last two expressions of das as random, I think the next one will resonate powerfully for us. When Haman, when Haman decrees against the Jewish people, Mardachai knew everything which happened. Here in a story which so questions man's das, which exposes the limitations of man's das, we have a statement, Mardachai Taka knew everything. Mardachai knew everything. Again, more than the pshat meaning of the phraseology in the story. The expression leaps right off the page. Has to loom larger than its pshat meaning, considering the das motif in the story. And as with every pattern, the reappearance of the word das in a positive sense, the sheer number of reappearances is what gives power to this pattern, I will trace a final reference in the Gemara in Megillah when the Gemara is studying the story about Mardachai. The Gemara set, cites the following Pasuk. La'adam shatov, to a good person, nasan l'fan of chachma v'daya. Hashem gave knowledge and understanding. Zem Mardachai, that's Mardachai. The Gemara says Mardachai is the person that Hashem gave chachma v'daya. Hashem is giving man wisdom and understanding. That Pasuk applied to Mardachai in Megillah Daf Yudam at Beis. 
is now a very, very powerful statement. Here we have a glorification of Hashem giving Mardachai Das. Hashem Nasan Lishashertov Be'en of Nasan Chachma Vedeya Zemardachai. In a story so demeaning man's Das. Again and again we have a glorification of man's Das. Because the answer is the Megillah is dealing with the whole issue of man's Das. Do we really know? The Megillah is dealing with it in a rich, multifaceted way. Giving full treatment to the subject and telling us how, on one hand, we don't know, but we try with the best we do understand. Mordechai is certainly scheming here and trying to come up with the Yeshua for Esther and ultimately for the Jewish people, as much as he himself says, Umi Yodaya. We live with that dichotomy. Yodas kol nasa, and at the same time, miyodaya. It is that dichotomy which makes us people. On one hand, human beings endowed with great capabilities, ability to achieve things, and at the same time, human beings who are puny, foible beings relative to HaKadosh who really knows what's going on. Every day, we are supposed to make good decisions. We are supposed to plow ahead and do the best we can. And therefore, it is perhaps unhealthy on a daily basis for us to doubt ourselves, for us to question ourselves, for us to focus too much on our limitations and the fact that we really don't know. But one day a year, we laugh. We poke fun at the human condition. We engage in schok. We even drink. We go under the influence to realize that ultimately we are under a greater influence. We realize the ultimate, the greater truth that we really don't know. We are acting with das simply because it is our mandate and is the best we have. But we are really players in a story being scripted beyond us. That's a sophisticated realization, but a true realization. And I suggest that realization that for all we know, we ultimately don't is not a depressing one, but is ultimately a very encouraging one. Because as we said, at the end of the day, the human condition seems to be very, very dire. You always have sociologists, commentators, who make these sweeping statements. We don't know if man's going to make it to 2023. Look at this war, and look at this crisis, and things have never been grimmer, and things have never been more dire. When we live the story of our own lives, sometimes we're in the deep, dark pit. So if we simply give in to rationalistic impulses, we're going to write ourselves off. But we have to laugh a little bit and realize this game called life is not really 
happening according to human projections. Man doesn't know. In the end, we're going to see it's very, very funny how personal situations, how national situations, which seemed unescapable, who knows what unexpected goodies Hashem has in store, what unexpected pathways of salvation, and then it will be very funny. We gave up hope so quickly, but in one false swoop, then a hapacho. And therefore, we must take solace in this truth that man doesn't know. Reality lies in a realm which is beyond, in the realm of a loving God who works in unexpected ways and laughs. And on this day of Purim, with that Amuna, we laugh along with him. And we realize how funny life is. Thank you, and a Freilich and Purim.